0: I'm excited today because we're going to continue through this series that we're we're in called Worried About Nothing. And um, really this series comes from a book that God placed on Pastor Chad's heart. This idea of what would our lives look like if we prayed about everything. See, we're worried about nothing, not just, you know, because we want to be positive, optimistic people. If I can just give you like a caveat today, your positivity and your optimism will not get you through your life. There will be moments where you struggle and you falter and you fall short and you'll need to reach for something bigger than yourself. And so that's why we pray. Because when we pray, we're going to something, really we're going to someone that's bigger than us. Bigger than our perspective, bigger than our doubts, bigger than our shortcomings, bigger than our mistakes. We go to a God and we pray to someone because he's never failed. He's never fallen short. He always does what he says he's going to do. Our God's undefeated. Our God always shows up. Our God is always with us. Our God never forsakes us. He's always here. And so that's why we pray. We, we don't pray, and we don't worry about nothing because we think that when we pray, if we say the right words, the right way and the right cadence with the right accent, then our prayers will unlock some supernatural spell that will fix our life. See, so we don't believe in the power of prayer as much as the power of Jesus We just believe that prayer is our vehicle that gets us into the presence of God. The Bible says that in his presence, there's freedom in the fullness of joy, that in his presence, anything can happen. In his presence, the natural becomes supernatural. The ordinary becomes extraordinary. In the presence of God, who knows what could happen? Healing could happen. Provision could happen. Vision can occur. Direction can be sent. Lies can be put back together. Addiction can end. We've seen it happen, and so we pray because we know God's track record, and if we're to be honest, like this, this is not trendy. It's not cool to worry about nothing. In fact, it's like we have a whole industry called media that's built, that's that's designed to get you to worry. Whoa, that was like some people over here going, "Uh huh, that's right," and it's true. Like we have a social media that gets you to worry, and it's not just. Get you to worry about the negative things in life. Like we're going to jump on social media and Twitter. It's just all bad. It's all, it's all gross. It's all you know, doom and gloom. You jump on Instagram and it's all highlight reels. And so now you begin to worry about things in a different way. Can I keep up? Can I look like them? Can I sound like them? Is my opportunity as, as big as their opportunity? Or is, is my following as big as their, is their following? And you begin to worry about curating a life that looks good instead of living a life that is good. And so when we say let's not worry about anything, let's pray about everything, it's not trendy. Like there's not a lot of accounts that have millions of followers going like, hey, guys, today just don't worry about anything. It's like five reasons why you should worry about sending your kids to school the first week. <laughs> Hand, foot, it's like, oh, my goodness. I, I, I promise you, it's not in trend, but. Just because it's not in trend or it's what the culture is talking about doesn't mean it's not holy and everlasting and good. And the thing about trends is exactly that, is that they fall out of trend. The thing about peace is that peace never goes. Joy never leaves. Holiness is it's a, it's a classic. Anytime you wear it, it'll look good on you. So we go, to, we go to God because we know that he's, he's never going to go away. He's not like some fading trend. We're not worried going like, oh, man, God, well, I know that you've been really good for all of eternity, but I think tomorrow you might not be. It's like I'm not worried about what the headline says, what the diagnosis says, what my friends say, what my family tells me. All I'm worried about is hearing from the voice of God. Because when I hear from the voice of God, it's like my life comes alive. It's like my life takes on form. It's like I used to live in black and white, and now I live in color. It's like now all of a sudden the bass is hitting a little bit more, and it's like you can feel the music. let just hear the music. I want to convince you today to live a life of prayer and not just live a life of, of prayers that would point to you, not just to live a life of cute, fancy prayers, But I would invite you to live a life of bold, wild, courageous, risky, exciting, adventurous, dangerous prayers. It's like, I wonder what would happen if we just started praying prayers that we can't be the solution for. I think we should probably stop asking God to do things that we can solve on our own. Like, okay, God. Um, I need you to get me a job, and God's like, fill out an application. Why aren't you showing up, God? Where's my provision? And he's like, it's crazy that pop-up from a, for Indeed.com just showed up. Fill it out and make a profile. God's like, hey, where are your prayers that only I can answer? Where are your prayers that only I can do? See, if you can do it on your own, I'll let you do those. How about I just operate in ways that are supernatural? So I want to give you, if you're taking notes today, you can write down the title. I don't want to mess it up. These are dangerous prayers. These are dangerous prayers. I want to give you five prayers today that if you pray them, you will begin to live a dangerous life. You guys see the new Top Gun? Top Gun? we're entering the danger zone people okay we do a, call me maverick okay i'm not gonna lie top gun it was like the surprise of the summer for me you, it's very rare that a sequel's better than the original i'm not going to give any spoilers but if you haven't seen it it is a kind hearted safe movie for you to go see that's okay i'm done with the top gun plug but i think that when we face dangerous things it's wired within us to react one of three different ways, okay? Science would tell us that when a dangerous moment happens, like I'm not gonna lie, I'm the husband that like jumps out and scares my family. Like they just know to like, look, look around the corner every time they like come into the room. Or I scare them. And each of my kids and my wife, they all react in a different way. I scare my wife and she shrinks back. I scare my son, River, my five-year-old, and he like hits me. It's just, I'm just like, I'm kind of proud. But at the same time, I'm like, uh, this, is, this might be a problem later on in life. If someone startles him, he might just, you know, be already in, in battle mode. But we can either fight, flight, or freeze. When a dangerous situation happens, it is built within us through our lives. We can either fight, flight, or freeze. And so whenever God asks us to do something that would seem risky or dangerous, if we're not careful, we'll fall into the temptation to either fight God, run away from God, or freeze and be paralyzed by analysis. But the thing that God has done for us is he's given us the Holy Spirit that allows us to overcome. He's given us the Holy Spirit. When a dangerous situation shows up, we don't have to fight, flight, or freeze. We can trust. We can lean in. We can press into God. We can depend. So when we pray these prayers, we don't have to pray them and go, okay, God, you do the rest. We can pray these prayers and say, God, I know I can lean on you, and you'll take care of the rest. So if you're taking notes, write down the first prayer. The first Dangerous prayer. Not my will, but yours. God, not my will be done, but your will be done. It's dangerous because whenever you mess with your ego, things can go sideways. You ever try to disrespect someone? Right away, the conversation goes sideways. So when you begin to pray, God, not my will, but your wills. I remember my father-in-law, I used to pray, still on occasion I do this. I used to pray, God, would you humble me? I remember my father-in-law was like, whoa, you pray dangerous prayers. Do you know what it means for you to be humbled by God? Get ready to go through something. Get ready for a test. Get ready for a trial. You want God to humble you, it's going to hurt. And when you pray this prayer, you better get ready. Because God's going to begin to go, to go to war with your ego. Go to war with your pride. Go to war with your building up of self. And all of a sudden, when you can get past that, you begin to pray this prayer. Humility sets in. And now you don't have to rely on your own will. The Bible says that God elevates the humble. And he pulls down those that are haughty in spirit. Prideful in spirit. I think that uh, our, our will is really interesting because... On one side of the coin, it is the greatest asset for human change. Your will is stronger than you realize. What you think is your limit, you probably got like 60% more to go. Just by sheer willpower. I, I know my mom. My mom has gone through some crazy things in her life, and she continues by her will to move forward. And she lives a life that feels impossible, full of joy and excitement and peace because what I thought, your will ends, she kept on. It's the greatest asset for changing your life. And on the other side of the coin, your will is the greatest anchor to keep you stuck in your past. It's the greatest thing that will keep you stuck in your stubborn ways. It's the greatest thing that will keep you grasping for control. Your will will take you up and down. Like my children, I just think maybe this is children in general. They have the strongest willpower Ever and it's about the craziest stuff. It's like I want a Happy Meal. Hey, I don't know if that's healthy for you. We got some stuff at home. I want a Happy Meal. I'm going to hold my breath until I get a Happy Meal. Like they hold their breath for so long they pass out cuz their will's so strong. I can't even make it to 30 seconds. Look, like, oh, I think I'm going to die. <sighs> and then I like, call on the other side of the coin, it's like, "Hey, I'll just give you a treat later." And like, "Okay." And, like their will's broken. Just like that. It's like, but that's what happens when you when you trust your own will to get you through life. It's like you're gonna leave here going like, I can't wait to live for God. This is gonna be amazing. I'm gonna join a Connect group. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on 7:30 tomorrow morning for prayer on Instagram Live. It's gonna be amazing, Miguel Contreras. Even if they didn't have AC, I'm still gonna show up. And then tomorrow morning, it's like 7:25, and your alarm goes off, and you're like, Oh, there's prayer. But there's also a snooze button. It's like your will goes up and down. That's why we pray, God, not my will, your will. Your will never fluctuates, it never changes, it never goes up and down. Your will is always the best option for my life. Your will will always lead me to the right place, your will will always take me to a place of healing. That's why I love what it says in Proverbs chapter chapter 14. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. See, just like a child, you'll stick to your guns. You'll stick to your willpower, even if there's no logic, even if there's no reason, even if you can't justify it, even if everyone else tells you it's wrong, you'll stick to it because it feels right to you because every way of a man feels right to them until you walk down the way that feels right. And you realize that your feet are stuck in a graveyard. You go like, what happened to my dreams? How come my dreams are dead? How come my relationships are dead? How come my bank account is overdraft? It's more than dead. How come I have no vision? How come I, how come I can't get excited about life anymore? How come I want to just keep on sleeping throughout the day? How come I don't want to go out with my friends anymore? Because your will will take you down a path that eventually will lead you to death. But Jesus says, follow my follow my will, follow my ways. And he doesn't say it as some like baron or some like a dictator if you follow my ways. Then I'll make sure it's good. No, he said, he said hey, you have two options. And if you, there's just, that's the, that's the way that leads to death. And this is the way that leads to life. And I love you so much. It's not your will, just my will. I promise you. See, the thing I love about my parents is they wanted the best for me. But the shortcoming of my parents is that they couldn't provide the best for me. Because they're not God. Only God wants the best for you and can actually deliver the best for you. And so when we pray the prayer, God, not my will, but your will, I decrease, you increase, I want to live the best life that you have for me, and the only way I can do that is a daily dangerous prayer that says, God, not me, it's all you. The second pray to prayer, after you pray that one, you realize you're going to need to pray this dangerous prayer, I'm sorry, please forgive me. This is like a daily one. Because you pray the first one, not my will, but your will. Then at the end of the day when you go to bed, you're like, that looked like a lot of my will today. Some of it was your will. A lot of it was my will. So your next prayer, the next dangerous prayer to pray is, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Can we just get out of the way real quick? Because it got really quiet. That God doesn't need your apology in order to forgive you. God doesn't need you to say sorry in order to accept you. The Bible says that he actually went to the cross for all of our sin, all of our mistakes, all of our shame, everything that you could have done wrong, all the things that you have done wrong, all the things that you are currently scheming to do wrong. God saw all of that, and in the perspective of that, he said, I forgive you already. So we go to God and we say sorry not to change his status. His status is always the same. He loves you. He's for you. He has a plan for you. He will not forsake you. His status does not change with our apology. Our status does. Because when we say sorry, when we apologize to God, we're saying, God, I've done wrong. And it's not my way, but it's your way. I want to surrender back to you. Now we get it twisted when we think that an apology is the same thing as repentance. See, because my kids are really good at saying sorry and really bad at making anybody on this planet believe it. Like, they say it the full eye roll. They say it with the whole back turned. I say, look in my eyes and say sorry. Sorry. So that's right. <laughs> I know that they don't mean that. I just, you got to say it. But I think we do that all the time. We mess up, we make a mistake, we choose our own way, we fall short. and We're like, sorry, God. S- sorry, messed up. Or we, we're in a situation like this, and the worship team's going, and we begin to cry, and like, God, I've fallen so short. I'm sorry for what I've done. And then, like, we leave, and we pick up the same patterns and temptations and cycles that we just apologized for. This prayer is dangerous to pray because God, once you say sorry, will call you to live a life of repentance. Where you don't just say sorry for it, but you begin to live a life of holiness. So I wonder what it would look like in your life if you began to pray prayers that said, God, I'm sorry for this. I don't want to live like this anymore by the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you begin to show me ways to live differently? Would you place me in communities that would hold me accountable to the life that you call me to live? God, would you give me vision to run towards instead of run temptations to run away from? Can I just say this? The Bible says, Jesus says to his, to his disciples, pray so that you don't fall into temptation. Notice the wording. He doesn't say pray against your temptations. He says pray so, you don't fall into temptation. Let me encourage you if your daily prayer is praying against your temptations, you might be running the risk of living a life focused on sin rather than your Savior. See, we live in a generation that says, I don't want to be like the dad that abandoned me. I don't want to be like the people that hurt me. And I'm never going to talk like them. I'm never going to act like them. I'm never going to do the things that they, that they did to me. In the whole time you're leaving a wake of destruction that's bigger, wider, and scarier than the one that was committed against you. Why? Because if you only focus on that thing, that thing will eat you alive. So we pray against our temptation. God, would you keep me from this thing? God, would you keep me from this thing? God, would you keep me from this thing? God, I don't want to be in this thing. God, this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing, this, I'm doing this thing again. Because it's always on your mind. When you repent, You flee from your sin. You leave it behind. And you say, okay, God, I'm not who I used to be. I don't even have to concern myself with this. God, I'm looking to new things. Green pastures, clear water. I'm looking on what's ahead of me. I'm looking for your salvation. God, I'm looking for your righteousness. God, I'm looking for your holiness. God, I have vision for my life. God, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to stay here because you have something better for me. That's the next prayer. Prayer number three, we're getting like more and more dangerous, the danger zone. It's getting crazier and crazier, you guys. This next one, this next prayer, prayer number three, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Isn't it interesting? The world, the enemy, first and foremost, would get you to leave out that first part. Here I am. Isn't it interesting? God would say, hey, what, where are you? And most of us would say, uh, we're not here. Like My body might be here, but my attention is somewhere else. My, my attention is on my phone. My attention is on a screen. My attention is on my future. My attention is on my past. I'm anywhere except for here. And when you pray, it anchors you. To the moment that you're in. When you pray, you say, God, here I am. You're denying the distractions of everything around you. In the world, trying to get at you. In the voice of anybody else. And you, you plant yourself in the presence of God. You say, here I am. See, the dangerous part about this prayer, here I am, send me. Is that you begin to pray a prayer that God asks you to become a solution for. You're like, Nate, didn't we just say we should stop asking prayers that we can accomplish? There's a difference between praying for what we need and praying for what God's plan is. Because God will give you everything that you need. In fact, in the Bible it says, stop praying for what you need. God's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you, provide food for you. He's going to provide everything you need. You just start praying bigger prayers. So then all of a sudden, you start praying prayers that like are like our are terrifying, supernatural. And God's like, okay, if, if you want this to happen, then you better buckle up because I'm going to use you to become the solution for the things that you're praying for. You guys remember Moses in the Bible? He's like one of the main characters. If he was like a Disney Plus thing, like a Bible Plus, it'd be like, you click on Moses and it's like he has like a whole catalog. Find Moses. He's a prince of Egypt, right? uh, There's a a decree that goes out. Hey, all the children are going to be killed. So his mom sends him down the Nile River in a basket. And he's found by Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He's found by his daughter, the princess. And Moses becomes a prince of Egypt. You guys guys know the story, right? Mariah Carey, a great soundtrack. (laughs) And then Moses one day finds out who he really is and sees that his people, the Israelites are being persecuted, put through slavery, murdered, attacked, beat down. And all of a sudden, a little bit of righteous anger, a little bit of justice rises up in Moses. And he says, I I will not let this happen in front of me. So what does he do? He goes to save his people. And when he goes to save his people, he ends up murdering an Egyptian, which uh, as a prince of Egypt, maybe you shouldn't murder Uh, other Egyptians. He becomes a convict. Terrified, fearful, Moses runs away into the wilderness. And for 40 years, he develops all sorts of symptoms of what it looks like running from God. See, Moses would have been raised up in the most affluent, most educated, most well-versed courts in the entire ancient world. He would have known languages and battle tactics and fashion and food and songs. And f- He would have known all the things, and then all of a sudden he gets sent into the desert after he runs away. And the Bible says that he develops a stutter because sin will make you weird. Sin will make you stutter. Sin will make you stand out. Sin will be the thing that you think you're hiding it from everyone else, but the whole time your life is telling on you. So we find Moses and the Bible picks up and Moses is in the desert running away from a God's place on his heart, which by the way is to save his people. Moses had the right calling, but he did it by his will and not God's will. And this is kind of the motif of Moses' life that would keep him from God's best constantly. And all of a sudden God shows up and says, hey Moses, remember that time when you Felt in your heart, you knew in your heart that you were called to save my people. And God calls Moses and uses Moses to do the very thing that originally was asked of him in the first place. And Moses was the whole time, gave every excuse. Okay, God, um, I tried doing it on my own, tried being the answer, it didn't work. So why don't you use this guy? Why don't you use this person? Why don't you use that thing? I'm the very least to be used here. And I'm here to tell you, so are we. Like, God, you're going to use me? Like, what can I offer you, God? I can't even hold my breath for 30 seconds. Like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to offer you? And this prayer is dangerous because God will begin to download supernatural presence, supernatural power, supernatural vision upon your life. Come on, I don't know about you, what would it look like, Zoe, if we said, God, here we are, a church, send us, we'll go. God, here we are to end homelessness. God, here we are to end depression. God, here we are to end racism. God, what would you do with us? It says here in Isaiah uh, chapter 6, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Maybe you've heard this story before. It's a, it's a, a, a parable, if you will. There's a man um, in, a, in his house, and there's a flood. And the flood was steadily rising, so the man kept on going higher and higher on his house. And each time, he, eventually, he'd be on the roof of his house, and he'd cry out to God, God, would you save me from this flood? God said, I'll save you. I'll, I'll save you from this flood. So as the waters get higher, a boat shows up. The boat's like, the guy's like, hey, come on the water. You're pretty soon, it's going to be higher than your house. You got to jump in the boat. And the man's like, hey, thank you so much. I appreciate the sentiment, but God told me he's going to save me. So the water keeps on rising and another boat shows up and they're like, hey, I don't know if you're a good swimmer. But pretty soon there's not going to be anywhere for you to go. The water's rising. Why don't you jump in the boat? And the guy's like, hey, I appreciate the sentiment, but God told me he's going to save me. And finally, the water's at his ankles, there's nowhere else to go, and another boat shows up, and they say, if you don't jump on this boat right now, you're going to drown. The man says, hey, I appreciate the sentiment, but God told me he's going to save me. So eventually the waters rise, the man drowns, and he confronts God. God, I thought you you said you were going to save me. God's like, I sent three boats, you didn't take a step. And I wonder if we've missed out on the opportunities for God to use us because he's put an opportunity in front of us. We just haven't been willing to take the step. He's opened up the door that we asked for him to open. We just haven't stepped through it. Come on, Zoe. We got to stop waiting for the superhero to show up and start taking steps on our own. See, Peter, he's in the boat. And all of a sudden, Jesus is out in the water. And he says, Jesus, if you want me to come to you and walk on the water, then give me the word. And so Jesus is like, all right, Peter, let's, let's party. Jump in the water. This is wild waves. Shout out to wild waves. It's a, a water park I grew up with. Anyways, <laughs> Peter jumps out the boat. And remember, he's not standing on water. He's standing on a word. You can't stand. You can't walk on water. I don't know if you know physics. It's not possible. So Peter's not standing on water. He's standing on a word. But he sinks in the circumstance. He stands on the word and he sinks on the circumstance. But before his head could get below the waters, Jesus is there to lift him up again. And this will become the cycle of a dangerously lived life where God calls you You step out on a word, the miraculous happens, you sink because of your own ways, and before you get too low, Jesus picks you up again. So you're either standing on a word, sinking in a circumstance, or being rescued by Jesus. I I just have a question for you. Which part of the process are you in? Because if you're standing on a word, you better get ready for a struggle. It's coming. The waves The the Bible says Peter saw the wind. You can't see wind. He's illogical. But he still sinks because he's afraid of something he can't see. Then all of a sudden God's grace steps in and lifts him up. Can I encourage you? When you pray this prayer, here I am. Send me. God will send you. And God will give you everything you need to accomplish what he set you out to do. And at the end of the day, you'll find yourself dependent not on your own ability, but on his grace to lift you up out of that water, to put you into this process again so you can live a life of excitement. Look, if you're a boring, if you think Christianity is boring, you're just a boring Christian. That's just the case. If you think the Bible's boring, you just haven't read it yet. As far as, I, as far as I'm concerned, the life that God's called me to live, Zoe to live, it's not a life that's boring and, and, and laid back and fearful and, and, and afraid. It's, it's a life that says, God, I can't even see the foothold. I can't stand on water, but I'll step out on a word when you step out on the word, who knows how God's going to meet you? Who knows how God's going to show up? Who knows how far God will take you? Who knows what type of miracles? Who knows what Uber driver will say yes? Who knows what barista will say yes? Who knows what family member will say yes? Who knows what type of depression will go away? Who knows what type of addiction will be cast out? Who knows what chains will break away? Who knows? You can step out on the word. And God will sustain you every step. Step of the way. And the next prayer, it's so dangerous because the more you step with God, the more you stand on a word, the more tempting it's going to be to take credit for the blessing. So the next prayer is this. In the band, you can come out. You can join me. The next prayer, dangerous prayer. Search my heart. Psalm chapter 139 says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search my heart, God. Search my heart. Some of us were afraid to go to church because we're afraid of this happening. Like, if God searches my heart, He'll see how wicked I am he'll see how messed up I am he'll see I haven't dealt with my trauma he'll see my pain, he'll see what's happened to me when we pray God search my heart we're not asking for God to find something he doesn't already know about God doesn't need to search your heart he made that thing he knows what's in it he knows what he's designed you for When we pray this prayer, we're saying, search it. Because when you see something, God, I know you'll say something. Because I don't want any perverse thing in my heart, God. I don't want anything with ill agenda. I don't want anything that will keep me from your presence, God. Search me. And when God sees something, he's so good, he'll say something. And the problem is, is that today... We face the reality that there's an enemy in this world. Now when he sees something, he'll say something too. And The difference is the devil will say something. The enemy will say something. He'll pull up an issue that you have. He'll pull up a problem. He'll pull up a heart thing. He'll pull up a trauma and he'll condemn you for it. He'll shut you down. He'll isolate you. He'll say, hey, I found something in you. You're full of fear. And um, it's it's for a good reason. Because you're nothing. Because you have nothing going for you. You should be fearful. Have you seen your accounts? Have you seen your relationships? It's, It's only going down from here. Yet Jesus would step in. And when he searches your heart, he would say, I see this fear that you have and I don't condemn you for it. I see this fear that you have and I want to convince you today to turn it to faith. I see this trauma that you have. I want to convince you today to turn it into testimony. I've searched your heart. I've seen it. Please, for your sake, surrender it. You don't have to have this anymore. In fact, the Bible says that God will take your heart of stone. I don't know if you've ever had a hardened heart before i come to church some mornings going like, okay, God, good luck. You think you can speak to me today? Do you know the week I've gone through? Do you know what last night looked like, God? I haven't slept. I'm in despair. Good luck, God. And he says, I'll take your heart of stone and I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. And it starts with this prayer God, search my heart. Because He'll continue to do it. New heart, fresh heart, fresh faith, new heart, fresh heart, fresh faith, new spirit. God, search me. It's just going to hurt. But on the other side of your struggle, you find a Savior. The Bible says it like this We go from glory to glory, strength to strength. What God grows, He graces. And whenever there's growth, there's growing pains. I'm just convinced today, maybe your pain is a sign that God is growing you. Search me, God. Last prayer, we'll wrap up here in just a moment, is this Forgive and bless my enemies. You have heard, and this is Matthew 5, 43 through 45, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, we all live under the same sun, and the rain falls on all of us. There's no reason to hate There's no reason to cast stones instead of hating your enemy. God, I pray that you forgive them. They know not what they do, and if they do know, God, would you forgive them anyways? God, bless them. God, have your way in their hearts. Everyone, you can go ahead and stand at your feet. See, this one's the most dangerous prayer to me because oftentimes we think the enemy is someone else. But what happens when you're your own worst enemy? What happens when you're the one attacking yourself? When you're the one degrading yourself? When you're the one making the wrong decisions? What happens when you become your own worst enemy? Can you forgive yourself? Can you pray and lay hands on yourself and ask for blessing. God, I know I don't deserve it. God, I know I didn't earn it. God, I know every way that I've done is against you, but you said in your word that even when I was at enmity with you, when I was an enemy, you still love me, God. God, forgive me. I know not what I do. And what I do know, God, I know that you still forgive me. Because at the end of this prayer is something called salvation. And at the end of this prayer is a life so full of excitement and joy. I promise you, your circumstance might not be any different, but the way you live in your circumstance will. All of a sudden, your salvation gives you a life where you pray risky prayers, dangerous prayers. You live a life full. I'm just convinced I'm going to keep on praying I'm going to keep on going to God I'm going to keep on leaning in I'm going to keep on praying boldly because I've seen his track record maybe you're here today every head and every eye closed and you want to pray a dangerous prayer for the first time you want to accept Jesus into your life maybe you're online and you're hearing this and for the first time in your life you know God's speaking to you you know, today God's forgiveness, God's love, God's grace is extended to you. And today you're done fighting God. You're done running away from God. You're done freezing in place. And today you're saying, I want to accept Jesus. I want to accept a life of vibrancy and excitement and joy and struggle and breakthrough. And today you want to place your trust in Jesus for the very first time. You want to get saved today.